morning, Adam Brock. Hey, it's great to be here with you. And uh, if you are a guest, we are really glad you're here. A warm welcome to you. Those of you watching online, glad you're tuned in. Uh, before we jump into the message here, though, I did want to take a moment for us to honor someone, for us to pray for someone. Um, as many of you know, Caleb Williams has been serving as our worship pastor interim, okay? And today is his last day. So um, I'm going to call Caleb to get out here, man. Come on here. Yeah, give this dude a round of applause. He's led us so well in, in worship, and uh, we take that seriously here at Edinburgh Church. So, brother, thank you for your leadership. Thanks for just how you've um, led us and, and pointed us uh, to, to the glory of God. Uh, that's what worship is. It's, it's praising God for who he is, and you've done that very well. And I want to just pray a blessing over you for your service here. Church, will you join me in that? Uh, God, we just want to pray for this man. Thank you for, uh, God, how you've wired him, uh, how you've gifted him, and the fact that he's stepping out and using that, that gifting, uh, God, to, to point people to you and to bring you glory. So I'm just going to pray that you would uh, return that to him. You would bless him, his future, his future plans. And, uh, God, he better not go too far from this place. That's, uh, we're going <laughs> to pray that in the strong name of Jesus. Uh, but, God, I just pray he'll be loved uh, by his church family today. And, uh, Lord, that he will know uh, how much we, we value him. So use his life, continue to use his life, uh, God, to point uh, other people uh, to, to you, all for your glory and Caleb's joy. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks, brother. Let's give him another. Yeah, he's going to be missed. We have a guest worship pastor, just so you know, filling in next week. And then uh, Levi Hansen, our official worship pastor that we've hired, will be starting uh, in two weeks from now. So just to put that on your radar. Well, hey, we are continuing our series, okay, A Higher Calling. And uh, you've heard me say it over and over now, uh, that in the Greek, it gives us these specific words uh, that help define different aspects of this word. In the English, we just call love. In the English, very broad, right? Love. And it can mean so many different things. But in the Greek, they had specific words referring to different aspects. For example, eros. We've talked about that, which means this romantic kind of love. Romantic love is great, okay? It's a gift from God, but you do not have to be a Christian to practice romantic love. And I think oftentimes when we hear it in our culture, that's usually the context. We're talking about romantic kind of love, but you don't have to be a Christian to experience that. And so whatever God is calling us to, it's something higher than that. We talked about philia, this family, friendship kind of love, which is this give and take. It's this mutual kind of love, and you don't have to be a Christian to experience that. You can experience mutual love in a family where there's mutual respect. You can, ex you, you can experience that, and you don't have to be a Christian to experience that, okay? So God has called us to something even higher than that. He, he's called us to this thing we call agape love, which is this Jesus-style kind of love. Okay, it's a love that just gives, even when there's nothing to receive, at least in the moment. It's a love that, that gives. In fact, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians 13 and what this love looks like in action. Okay, um, but just to kick off this message, uh, I, I, I want to read uh, chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and replace the word love with the name Jesus. Okay. Because this really tells us what Paul's talking about when he talks about agape love. He's really describing 
Jesus to us. So we read this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others, and he is not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and he always perseveres. So this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus' life looked like in, 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 in action, okay? It's just his, it's his character. And as his followers, he has called us to look like him. He has called us to love the way he loved. And I find that, you know, in the church, we like to talk about God's love. We like to say and, and that we should be loving people. But I'll ask you this question. Do you think if you asked the average person on the street, what comes to mind when you think of the average Christian? Do you think the first thing that comes out of their mouth would be, they're a loving people? I don't know. I, I, I doubt it would be. I bet you they'd have something else to say. And yet the primary thing that's supposed to characterize us as Christians, as Christ followers, should be agape love. In fact, John um, says it this way. Uh, Jesus tells us this in, in John 13. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Well, by what, Jesus? If you love one another. So this is supposed to be like the thing that defines us. And yet we talk about it. We, we have good intentions, but then when it hits and confronts reality, we often don't follow through. Um, there's kind of an idealism when it comes to this, this, this topic of love. Uh, an example of that, Danielle and I, we kind of learned, we, we had this idealism around parenting, right? Around raising our kids. We had twins, Logan and Michaela. Uh, and when they were born, I remember us saying, uh, you know, we're not going to be those parents that slow down their life. You know, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep doing everything we did before we had kids. We're not going to revolve around them. They're going to revolve around, right, us as mom and dad. And so we came up with this brilliant plan. We were going to put them on a plane and fly halfway around the country to see mom and dad. Okay? Because uh, we're not slowing down just because we had kids. Well, we get on that plane, and as you can imagine, I mean, we hadn't even sat down yet when they, when they both started crying, Right? And now they're screaming, and you, you can imagine the situation. I'm getting the stink eye from all these other passengers. We take our seat. They're not stopping. It's like, this is getting out of control. And it got so bad that, you know, a passenger raised their hand and said, uh, can, can I please move to another seat on the plane? And, um, and, and that's when the, you know, flight attendant said, no, sorry, sir. Fathers have to sit with their kids at all times, okay, because it was me <laughs> trying to be relocated at this point. I learned very quickly. We hadn't even been on the flight very long. It's like, this is going to be miserable. We go on this flight just crying, screaming the whole time, and uh, knowing that we had to turn around after this trip, lugging, you know, uh, their luggage, uh, car seats, stroller, all that through, that we're going to have to turn around and do it all over again. And we had people in our life telling us, you don't want to do this. Trust me, they're, you know, they're newborns. This is going to be really hard. That's when my mother-in-law said, I knew it. He's an idiot. Okay, and I, we learned, okay, maybe our life is going to revolve around nap time a little bit because what happened is our good intentions confronted reality and 
reality one. I think oftentimes as Christians, it's like that when it comes to love. We have good intentions, but then it hits reality. And reality, reality has a way of, to end up winning. But you, you know what they say about good intentions. They say the pathway to hell is paved with what? Good intentions. Yeah. It's not enough to have good intentions. Jesus really has called us to love. And I got to tell you, of all the topics we've talked about so far in the series, I don't know if the one that we're going to talk about today, this might be the most challenging. I know there's one more difficult to actually put into practice and to live out, which is the topic of showing grace and forgiveness to others who have wronged us. Okay, Which brings us to what Paul says in, in verse 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. I love this idea of records of wrongs because I think of it when I think, I think of it like one of those old-timey file cabinets. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? There was like these file cabinets. I think they come from like the 80s or the 90s. They always came in one color, khaki. Some of you still have these in your house or your office. We still have them here at the church. They're everywhere, but it's these khaki-colored file cabinets. And, I mean, some of you, you know, you pull out those drawers. You've got them color-coded, right? You've got them categorized. You've got specific people and dates. Then you pull out another. That's just your spouse, right? you got just your spouse. That's one whole drawer that comes out. And it's like we got these records of wrongs, and we can remember what people have done to us. Now, I want to be very clear about something. What Paul is not saying here, okay, he is not saying that we necessarily forget what all the wrongs that have been done to us. Sometimes we very well need to remember people who might be dangerous or abusive, okay? There is a place and time to put boundaries in your life. There is a place in time, and time, and we even saw this last week when it said don't even associate with somebody who's easily angered, right? A hot-tempered person. Where the Bible teaches us to actually put boundaries in our life. And so it would be foolish to say, oh, I'm supposed to just forget, and so you keep putting yourself back in, in bad situations. Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't do that. Okay, in fact, there was someone named Alexander uh, the coppersmith that had persecuted him in his ministry, and he even goes out of his way to, to warn uh, his protege, uh, Timothy, this young pastor that Paul was mentoring, to say, hey, watch out for Alexander. Put up boundaries with Alexander. He wronged me, and you need to know that if you let him in, he's going to wrong you in your ministry as well. Don't retaliate. Don't do any of that. We put it in God's hands, but you need to be aware. So even Paul remembers the wrongs done to him and says there's got to be boundaries when he warns Timothy about Alexander. We see this with Jesus. Uh, yes, you say, well, didn't Jesus go to the cross and die? And yeah, he did. But there were other times in his ministry where he had to escape the Pharisees before it was his time to go to the cross where he actually avoided going to certain places where he knew the Pharisees might be certain times in his ministry. So this does not mean you don't have boundaries, okay, in place in, in your life and put yourself in situations where you're just going to get hurt over and over again. But what it does mean is that what we're forgetting, what we're letting go of is the anger and the bitterness associated with that person or associated with that thing they did to us. That's what we have to be willing to let go. That's what we've got to get past and forget. So I can still have boundaries in my life, but I'm not angry and bitter when I think about you. Okay? And, and so this is what Paul is getting to. In other words, what he's talking about is not holding on to what we would call a grudge. Not holding on to a grudge. Because love keeps no record 
of, of wrongs. Now, I know how hard this can be, and, and, and I've, I've had moments in my life, in fact, it, it's taken, in, in some cases, years uh, to get past certain people who um, have hurt me in, in life. Um, I mean, a more maybe trivial example would be when I was uh, working before I was ever in, uh, you know, pastoring. Uh, I was kind of in a sales job, and I had a sales partner, and um, we worked together closely in this location. When this partner went behind my back to my boss and negotiated a deal to get me thrown out of the store so that he could have it all to himself, and I ended up getting relegated to a store where I lost a lot of money, and that's how God was taking care of us and providing for us to get through school, and I remember being so hurt and feeling so betrayed, and it took a long time um, to get past the, 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 the bitterness and the anger I felt towards this person. You go back even more in time when I was a teenager, and I don't know why, but there was this, this guy who called himself my friend, but he said things to me, and he said things about me, and he said things to others that... Uh, got stuck in my head, and it really affected me. It really affected my identity and the way I saw myself for years, and because it felt like it took something from me, I just, I had so much anger. It took years to get beyond my anger and my bitterness towards this person. Um, It hurt me so deeply. And then you go back in time even further when I'm nine years old and my sister is eight years old. She's a year younger than I am. We're at this daycare and they hire in a photographer to come in and take pictures when this photographer took advantage of my sister, eight years old. And you can only imagine the emotional pain and trauma and damage it did to my sister, but also to our family. So I've known what it's like to want to kill somebody, okay? When I talk about graduate, I know how hard for some of us this can be, to, 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 to let go and keep no record of, of, of that of that wrong. When I became a Christian, I stumbled upon this passage and it, it's haunted me to this day. And actually part of my prayer is that it's going to haunt all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we want to be serious about that. Which is Matthew 6, 14. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Then he says this, but if you do not forgive others, their sins, Your father will not forgive your sins, okay? So friends, this verse haunted me. This even challenges my theology a little bit. Anybody else? But apparently, this is how God thinks. This is what God's saying. He's like, God, I want my grace to work through you if you're my followers. I want my grace to work through you into the life of other people. And if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to live up to this higher calling, then I'm going to withhold some of my grace from you. Seems like that's what he's saying. I don't, I don't know what other principle you would draw from that. If you're not going to let my grace work through you, then I'm going to withhold my grace to you because this is what I have called you to. And when I became a young Christian, I heard this passage where I was coming from. I needed all of the blessing and favor of God I could get. And so I took this passage very seriously. Is there anybody else this morning who needs a little favor and blessing from God? Then we got to do what Jesus has called us to do when it comes to this topic especially when it comes to this topic of loving the way he did. Okay. Now, I want us to think about for a second, what would happen if you were able to get past that anger and bitterness? And by the way, that might be, 
you know, it, it might be small towards somebody. It could be towards your spouse. Maybe some of you don't even realize you've got this lingering anger towards your spouse. It might be towards an ex. You know, it could be towards someone that you call friend or something that was your friend, coworker. Some of you, it's towards yourself. Sometimes that's the hardest person to forgive. But what do you think would happen if you got past that anger and bitterness in your heart? Let me just suggest a few things. First off, like I already said, I believe God's blessing would flow more into your life. Uh, when we let go of that anger and bitterness, when we can get past that, it seems like God's saying, I'm going to pour more grace into your life. And if you need more grace and God to see God's favor moving in your life, that might be what's waiting for you on the other side of getting past that anger and hurt. You will heal, okay? We often think that once I heal, then I'll forgive. But it really is the other way around. It's once you forgive, then you can actually start healing. Because anger and bitterness, friends, is kind of like a dangerous bacteria. And, and when it gets into the wound, it just keeps infecting it. And it keeps it open and it keeps it festering. Uh, that's why, you know, when you, I would scrape my knee as a kid, right, and you'd get that... Uh, the, that scrape, and, 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 and in our house, we never had, like, the hydrogen peroxide, the good stuff. My mom just had straight-up rubbing alcohol. Anybody else? And then she would just, like, it was like being, like, like having a hot iron, you know, against your knee. Just get in there. Like, just <laughs> shove that alcohol in the wound. And, you start, and she would think, like, a gentle, like, <sighs> right, would take care of it. Anybody else go through this? And meanwhile, you're screaming? Like, why don't you just brand me? I mean, <laughs> but that alcohol was doing good. That alcohol was cleaning out that infection. Does forgiving people hurt? Yes, it does. But you go through it because there's healing on the other side. That's how we get to healing, okay? And then also just this one too. For some of you, it's going to set you free. Because once you get past that anger and bitterness, you're going to be set free. Set free from what? Well, set free from your anger. Set free from your bitterness. That's turning into depression in your life. It's going to set you free from the devil's foothold because the Bible teaches that the devil gets a foothold in all. He gets control of our life when we let anger and bitterness rule. And it's going to set you free from that so you can start experiencing the abundant life Jesus has for you. So you can start experiencing the joy and the peace, the freedom it comes from forgiveness. That's why Nelson Mandela, right, he said that a grudge, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. The only person you're really hurting is, is yourself. So friends, I want us to figure, find out, discover, experience what's on the other side of letting go of that grudge and getting past that grudge. But the question is, how in the world do you and I do that? You know, that's where we might turn to like that great theologian, Taylor Swift, What'd she say? Shake it off, shake it, shake it, shake it off. What was it? Shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. Because players going to play, play, play. Haters going to hate. Some of you know that. But how, how many of you learn, like, sometimes you just can't shake it off? Like, sometimes you just can't do that. Because the hurt is too deep. Well, that's where we need the better theologian. <laughs> that's where we need Jesus to come in and help us out. And here's the thing I love about Jesus. He didn't just teach these things. He didn't just preach these things, friends. He practiced these things, okay? Sometimes we don't spend enough time talking about, you know, 
what, what, what Jesus says on, on this subject and how he practiced it. He did tell us this on the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how the world works, of course. But I tell you, what does that say? Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus didn't just preach this, friends. He practiced it. And we see that nowhere else so clearly as we do at the cross. Where he was denied and and, and betrayed by one of his his own disciples that he had been walking with for three years and investing in and pouring into to be turned over by this disciple, gave away his, his secret location so he could be arrested and go through this mock trial, this false trial, this illegal trial in the dark of night where he was beaten and mocked. Where he'd be flogged 39 times, one short of the, the death penalty. You, don't, you maybe don't know this about when they would whip people in those times, in those ancient times, the whips had like bone or some kind of metal at the tip of it, and the whole point was to rip off your flesh. And so Jesus went through that, what was one short of the death penalty. So basically, he was already dead just from the flogging. Many people believe his organs would have been exposed. Skin, you know, you can imagine hanging from his back. Then he has to carry his own cross beam as he's already been whipped and, and beaten, okay? He had his beard, you know, pulled out of his face, a crown of thorns shoved on his head. You can imagine that. Then nails through his hands, nails through his feet. And he's put on this highway, what would have been considered a highway at the time where people are walking in and out of Jerusalem to see him so they can spit on him, mock him, oh, king of the Jews. (laughs) Yeah, right. And this is where we need to recognize, yeah, you say, well, he's God. He's God. Well, he's also fully human. And I can only imagine the anger and the hurt in his heart at what's being done to him. I have a feeling that probably turned into sadness. But then he says this. He didn't just preach this, friends. Listen to what Jesus says. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Even as we are nailing him to the cross, even as our sin is putting him up there, what's he, he's praying for us. Okay. How in the world do we get past people who have hurt us? I'm telling you, it's the key, and it has helped me in life, and it has gotten me, it has brought freedom into my life. How do you do it? You do what Jesus did. You know what I mean? Okay? I'm going to sound crazy when I say it. So don't anyone throw any stones, all right? You pray for that person. That enemy, you pray for them. You lift that person up to God like I did. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're like, oh, yeah, I'll pray for them all right. I will pray real good for them, for that person. Right? That's how we say it. Like, oh, yeah. Let me get in. And I understand this. Okay? Now, let me say a couple things about this. First up, this is a process. You need to show yourself some grace in this. There's often a process to forgiving someone, especially to praying for that person who hurts you, sometimes in, in, in really terrible ways. And so I remember when I was playing, we're going to call that guy that I was telling you about, the work guy that betrayed me. I'm, I'm going to give him the name Rufus. I'm going to protect his family. My hope is I, I don't think there's a lot of us named Rufus in here. 
If your name is Rufus, I just want you to know I'm not talking about you, Rufus. I love you. Okay, but this, we're going to give him the name Rufus. And so Rufus went by my, behind my back and he betrayed me. And I was so hurt and my family was hurt from that financially. And, and I, but I heard a message similar to this. that I needed to pray for my enemies. Okay, and, and so I, this is how that first prayer went. Okay, okay, I'm going to pray. And I just said, okay, Lord Jesus, Rufus, amen, okay? And then I went on my way. But I had this check in my spirit that said, no, I'm calling you to more than that. It's going to take more than that. Okay, so I'm just being honest with you. Step two was, Lord, I'm going to lift up Rufus to you. Would you please hurt his face, okay? (laughs) And it will be for his good, okay, Lord? Because it's going to draw him closer to you. So by hurting his face, you end up working all things out for Rufus's ultimate good. So amen. And then I had a check in my heart about that, and I realized that's not what God's looking for. That's where some of you are stuck, by the way. Let's just be honest. It had to get to the point where I could say, Lord, I'm actually going to pray blessing for Rufus today. Would you in some practical, meaningful way bless Rufus's life and his family's life? Okay? I had to get to the point where I could pray that. And here's why prayer, friends, can be so helpful. Because oftentimes, oftentimes what God's waiting for with our faith, it's to, it's to move. It's to take action. Action is oftentimes what helps us. And by praying, we're doing something active. We're stepping out in faith and we're saying, God, I trust you to do something through this. But it will be a process. And here, here's what I learned in my life. Praying for that in person, it might not actually change that person. You might not but it will change you. It'll change your heart. And it'll help you to start experiencing that freedom we've been talking about. So the first thing we need to understand is, friends, it's a process. The second thing you got to understand, it's a choice. Some of you need to make that choice this morning. Forgiving that person, letting go of that grudge is going to start with you making an act of the will to say, I'm going to start praying for so-and-so, and you fill in the blank who that's been in your life. And here's what you're really doing. You're exercising faith. You're saying that if I do this, I know how hard it can be. You're saying if I do this, I believe that something good is waiting for me on the other side. I can't see it now. I don't feel it now. But I believe that something good is waiting for me on the other side. And I'm telling you, here's what's waiting for you on the other side, more of God's blessing in your life. More healing in your life that some of you so desperately need this morning to feel healthy and whole and to be set free from the devil's grasp so you can start experiencing the joy and the life. Because when we forgive, ultimately the person that's being set free is who? It's you and me. So what I really want to pray for us this morning is faith. I got to tell you, I've been able to forgive those three people I mentioned earlier. I've been able to forgive Rufus. I've been able to forgive that friend. Uh, when I was a teenager, that hurt me so deeply. And I was even able to forgive, and my sister, you should know, was able to forgive that person that did that to her so many years ago and has been set free from that, friends. 
And I can't imagine my life if I had decided to hold on to that grudge and not let it go. I can't imagine where my heart would be. Has it taken time? It has. Has it been a process? Yes. But I'm glad I made a choice to start. And that's what I want to challenge some of you to do this morning. To make that choice. To start today to lift that person up to God and start praying for them. And you just might see your heart. You might start seeing them through God's eyes. Maybe for some of you today, it's your spouse. I can tell you, if you want a healthy marriage, you know what it takes? Two really good forgivers. <laughs> Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a parent. A friend, that ex-friend, that ex-spouse. Today's the day we can lift them up to God and start experiencing that freedom he wants. So here's what I want to do. I'm just going to bow our heads. I'm just going to give you a moment. I just want to give you a moment. Whoever comes to mind, if somebody's coming to mind in this message, would you just lift that person up? Would you start that process today? Pray for them. Maybe some of you, it's your spouse today. Maybe, when was the last time you prayed for your spouse? I'd ask you that. Maybe, regardless, just pray for your spouse. If you're not married, maybe pray for your parents. Maybe there's still someone else on your mind. Pray for your kids. I really want to encourage all of you who are married right now to pray for your spouse. God, you can see the hurts in this room today and you know where each one of us is at. And I just want to pray that Jesus, just by your wounds, we could start the process of being healed. Give us faith. Give us faith to believe there's something good for us on the other side of getting past that grudge, getting past that anger and bitterness. And God, give us faith. Let your spirit fall on this place this morning so that we could believe and have the strength to trust and to hold on to you when those thoughts rise in our minds. Go back to you in prayer. Continue in that process until we're free. Help us to believe that, Lord. And God, we ultimately want to give you thanks. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you prayed for us, that you loved us, that you still hoped, that you still believed in us. Even when we were nailing you to the cross, you still had hope in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That when even when we were at our worst, doing our worst to you, you still loved us and showed us grace and forgiveness. Help us to be more like you as your church, Jesus. So fill us with your spirit to that end. And we're going to pray all of this in your name. And all God's people said, amen.